just like muscles on our body, we don't have them by birth. We like do movements and then we get these muscles. And so it's going to be the same with any of these self-kindness or self-preservation techniques where it's going to feel a little awkward at first or difficult and then it becomes common and then it feels good because you have this backbone of longevity through these mechanisms you've created for yourself or these practices. And sometimes we do like boil over. We are going to overcommit sometimes, but that's okay. It's just once you realize that you have, make a shift. I keep telling myself like there's truly no regrets. There are only lessons and there are only regrets if you know you need a change and you don't make it. What is going on? Emily Abadi here, bringing you episode 149 of Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about big wins, tough moments, and everything in between. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes and CEOs to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. Today, I am sitting down with runner, Olympian, and actor, Alexi Pappas, who recently added author to her resume with last month's Hurdle Book Club pick, Bravey. Alexi has conquered a lot of hurdles in her life, from navigating her mother's suicide at a young age to battling depression herself after the 2016 Olympic Games. Listening back to today's episode, actually, I really went into this interview understanding that many of you have likely heard from Alexi before just because of all of the press that she's been doing surrounding her book. I personally really loved her interview on Rich Roll. I found it to be super captivating. Uh, But that doesn't mean, and I want to say this up front, that you won't hear new stuff from her on this episode. And in fact, I actually, and I know I'm a little bit biased, but think this one is a gem. I specifically asked her, you know, what haven't you been talking about? And she answers a lot of tough questions like, how do you pull yourself out of a dark place? How do you get better at self-care when maybe you have no established practice? And I love what she said when I asked her what it is that she sees when she looks in the mirror. Again, super amped on this episode, super grateful for Alexi's time. And I mentioned the Hurdle Book Club. If you happened to join us last week, then you know that it was a really special conversation. I'm looking forward to having more of those in the coming weeks and months. I am right now trying to home in on exactly what the next book club pick is. So if you are listening to this and you have a suggestion, I am all ears. I'm going to put a link in the show notes where you can sign up for the next book club and give me a recommendation of what we should be reading. Of course, please make sure you are following along with Hurdle over on social media. It is at Hurdle Podcast. I am also over at Emily Abadi. And last little bit of housekeeping, please make sure that you rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. And if you have yet to do so, sign up for the weekly Hurdle. Link to do all this goodness in the show notes. With that, let's get to hurdling. Hurdling. 
Today, I'm sitting down with Alexi Papa. She is a runner, an Olympian, an actor, a new author. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm so grateful that you have read Bravey. It is on the bookshelf. It is on the bookshelf. I'm so excited to have you on here today. I have been inundated in the best of ways, really, with interviews from you over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Correct. Has that been like kind of a mind-blowing moment for you to have all of these different conversations? I would imagine it's kind of or could be a little therapeutic. You know, it's been interesting because when you write a book, I think you imagine a, a book tour that's different than a virtual book tour, but it is a virtual book tour and that allowed me to do more interviews and even some people who would never do something that was remote, like abroad, there, you know, I think some of these folks made adjustments. And so it was really, it's been wonderful. I think the most surprising of all of these uh, conversations was one that I had with soldiers in the army at the Pentagon. And that came about because soldiers see themselves as athletes, which they are. And I think the way there's one part in Bravey that talks about mental health or there's a few parts. And I think some of the vocabulary that I learned the hard way proved to be very useful to them. And so I think that was like the most surprising and gratifying moment of this whole thing, because it was that and the teenagers who have reached out that that have said, I hate reading books. I usually can't write, sit through a book and I plowed through your book. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> In general, would you say that the feedback from teenagers and like young women has really been some of the most rewarding feedback for you from this book? Yeah, I think so, because that is like who I imagined reading it, because that's who I that's who I was. Right. I was like a young teenage girl wanting to find something to imitate. And I would have, you know, devoured this book as I used to devour Britney Spears videos and things, I think. <laughs> so, I mean, like I said, a lot of us have been hearing a lot about your story lately, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to give us some backstory, give us a little bit about growing up in California and what that was like for you. Yeah. So I grew up in the Bay Area and it was just my dad and my brother and me after my mom passed away when I was almost five. And it was like a, a hilarious, challenging way to grow up because, you know, there were so many moments that, you know, puberty ridden moments that I went through with like my dad and my brother that were funny and awkward and difficult. And I think all the while grew up you know, determined to be successful, to be honest, and be happy. And that was something that I perceived that my mom was not. And I just wanted to not be whatever it was that I thought that she was. And so I grew up very busy, because that's how my dad, I think, coped with the trauma. Like he was just like, we just have to keep them busy. And so he did. And I don't think I slowed down really, until I had my own post-Olympic depression, which I did not try to slow down. I had to eventually. And that wasn't until, you know, 2016. So it's been a, it's been quite a life of trying hard and maybe finding some solutions, but not all the right ones to this like internal, you know, void, I guess. 
When you were going, 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 do you remember at all a time previous to post-Olympics where you may have gotten a taste of what it was like to slow down and thought to yourself, like, this isn't for me? I think I've never been bored in my life. Like some people are like, well, when you get bored, what are you doing? I'm like, I've never been bored. But I don't think I did super well with, you know, stillness or having no goals. And I think even rest is a type of activity. So I think, yeah, you're right. I was not very comfortable with pausing. And that is a strength. And it's also a weakness. Yeah. Now that you feel a little bit more comfortable with pausing, although I would argue because of your accolades and the the multi-hyphenate that we just kind of threw into the world that you're not pausing too much. (laughs) But now that you're a little bit better with it, what advice would you offer to someone else who also feels like they struggle with the stillness? The only thing, you know, and I wrote about this in Bravey, but actions change thoughts, which change feelings in that order. And that was something I learned. But, you know, pausing can is an action. So I think I've maybe that's like a mind trickery of being like, look, this is part of success. This is part of moving forward is slowing down. And also that, okay, here's what I will tell them. There's this I need to know what this documentary is called. Hold on. I want to figure this out. It's the octopus documentary. Is it my friend, the octopus or the octopus, my octopus teacher, my octopus teacher. Yeah. My octopus teacher. And there's a part in it. It's just about, you know, a real octopus. It's a documentary. And there's a part where his arm, he has to like regrow one of his arms and the octopus goes under a rock and regrows the arm. And it takes a long time. And I think that's, that what is cool is looking to nature to be like, this occurs elsewhere. And this animal that's very smart, because octopus are very smart, will take the time to regrow their arm. And I think for me, you know, that is a particularly apt comparison if you are actually injured, but also if you're just like regrowing your willpower, or you're, you know, you have this adrenal fatigue as you do after chasing any big goal. Um, and I think just imagining that if the octopus can do it, then I can too. And it's it's like a natural good thing. Uh, and it is going to help the octopus and me in the long run. So I don't know. I think the message there is like, if you can't do it for yourself, like try to find imagery that makes you feel more okay doing the things that you know you should do or you know you want to do. And I also think that's why it's helpful to hear other people talk some of these things out, whether it's on podcasts or videos or Instagram or wherever you're getting your information from. It's like when you can hear two people talk about the importance of slowing down and sometimes you don't realize that you've been going a thousand miles an hour, then you're like, oh, shit, like (laughs) it's time to take a beat. It's time to be the octopus. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And that whatever's useful to you, you know, if the octopus helps, great. If the podcast helps, great. So as you were growing up, you are in this go, go, go lifestyle, you start running. Talk to me about your relationship with running as you were coming of age and still grieving the loss of your mom. Running Well, I liked a lot of sports. Running was the thing I was best at in all of the other sports that I played. And I think something that I liked about running was how I could put in time into the sport and definitely improve. And that like sense of control or like predicted improvement is something I think we all would like to have. And it was, you know, you can have it in running. I do think for most people, if you try it, it 
is something that's gratifying. It was a box I could tick every day, like did this. Um, and I liked that feeling of probably control, right? I also liked to win. I liked to be good at something because whether this is a sustainable emotional driving force or not, I wanted to matter because I didn't, as a child, feel like I mattered enough for my mom to stay. She she took her own life. And that I would come later to understand to be totally false and not the reality. But that was all I could understand when I was a kid. And so running was a great way to like push myself in like a healthy way, right? It's like a good kind of pain. And it did a lot of things for me. Although I didn't love it at first because I loved team sports and I didn't understand at first that running could be a team sport too. That took some time. I like what you said, and I've heard you talk about this before, the good kind of pain. Talk to me about the difference between the good pain and the bad pain. So I think bad pain is, but like we intuitively know what bad pain is. It's anything that is, you know, injury. It is uh, maybe chasing things for the wrong reason. Like if we're making decisions out of fear, maybe there's some bad pain in there. Um, I think that good pain is like athletic pain. If you're not injured, that's like a good pain. I even think like heartbreak and failing, facing hurdles in a, you know, dream chasing scenario is kind of good pain because it means we like cared about something enough, you know, as long as it wasn't, I mean, there's bad heartbreak too, but you know, I think intuitively, if you just think about any moment of pain in your life, you could probably be honest with yourself about whether it was good pain or bad pain. And you could also probably trick yourself into thinking it was one when it was the other. Um, if you wanted to, um, what I had to understand was cause I didn't like the pain of running at first. Right. And I thought it was bad pain, but I came to understand eventually that it was good pain. I was choosing to like run up this mountain and it was inherently like a good way to learn how to fall down and get back up. And I do think depression and some of those feelings are bad pain and they can heal just like an injury can heal. But I think it was important to recognize that bad pain, we don't choose it, but we do have to make choices to help ourselves get out of it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with making the choice, especially when bad pain is coming in a familiar situation. Yeah. So you then go on to college and it's funny that you talk about like embracing the good pain that running gives you, even though you weren't the best at it. I know that when you got to Dartmouth, you were actually the quote unquote slowest person on your team. So what made you stick with it when you weren't performing at the same level as all of your teammates? Well, I think a couple things. One, I was happy in the environment. So like I liked the people on my team. I liked the school I was at in New Hampshire. I felt like I was in a place that I could love. I was not doing the thing I wanted to do, which was to contribute a team point. That was like all I really wanted. But I tried to find ways to contribute in other ways, like by being there every day, by showing up. And like, I think you know, when we can't contribute in the ways we would like to, we still have to find ways to feel valued to ourselves and to others. And I did a pretty good job of that um, to the point where I I stuck around long enough to improve. Um, but it was 
humbling and hard and humiliating at times to like come in last at a race or never not even be allowed to run the race. And I tried to also have a sense of humor about those moments because it was sweet and it was a sport. It wasn't like such a big deal. I just, you know, it's kind of sweet to watch yourself come in last and know that hopefully it won't be that way forever. And, um, it's hard to be like nostalgic for a moment in the present, but like I tried to assume it wouldn't be that way forever and just be proud of myself, um, and want more out of myself at that moment. But it wasn't, I think it wasn't always easy. Humor really helps. I don't know if you agree. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think it's like that. Can you take a step back and look at this holistically? Like the fact that you could take a step back from that experience when you weren't on the top of the roster, on the top of the people coming in first, second, et cetera, when you could take a step back and look at how you felt doing this thing instead of just like the number and the outcome, I think that shows a lot of wisdom and really great perspective. Thank you. Well, also, we just have to let ourselves have the chance to improve. I think sometimes we put ourselves in too short of like we put ourselves in like a toaster oven when we really need like a long oven roast to become the thing we want to become. And like, it wasn't going to happen in like a one toast cycle, like it was going to take time. And so I tried to like, accept that the the good news and the bad news was that hanging in there long enough would work. Um, and I think swallowing that as early as we can in like a process that might take a while is super helpful because then you're like, I'm not expecting that tomorrow I have the result I want. And that applies to any dream, but also like that mental health journey too, where if you are, you know, in a tough spot, you're probably going to wake up sad every day for a while, but it doesn't mean you're not healing or improving. It just means you're not going to feel it right away. And so I think patience is hard, um, but it's less hard if we expect it to take a while whatever it is. So then you are committed to your running journey. You're committed to sticking it out. When do you start to see the fruits of your efforts really pay off in sport? I felt the fruits of my effort pay off when I scored a single team point my junior year of college. It was so great. I have a tattoo actually to celebrate this this moment. So I was on a relay team, which is very fun because it makes running truly a team sport. And we really wanted to go to nationals. And that sounds like, I mean, you know, it's a big dream if you're an NCAA athlete in running particularly. And we made it as a team in this relay because I wasn't good enough to be an individual there. And we made it at like a last chance meet. And we were just happy to be at nationals that we were like, we want to get tattoos to celebrate even being here. And our coach was like, you can't get tattoos unless you like get all American, which is top eight in the national race. or or podium, which would be top three. And we made a bet with each other. We were like, okay, if we podium, if we get top eight, we will get the tattoo. And he was like, if you podium, our coach said he would get the tattoo. And we were, he was like, there's just no way you guys podium. You guys are like ranked last in this race. And it was a relay. And sometimes people like are tactical in these relay races and somebody slowed down the race enough. It was a Florida state girl that we got third in this race and you would have thought we won because we were crying and it like meant so much. And I think it was really, you know, um, representative of how, how much 
joy I felt and our team felt at like chipping away at something and, and, you know, being up there, we didn't win, but like, it felt like we won. And I think that's sometimes good enough, you know, in your own mind, what your, what your win is. So we all have the tattoo, even the coach. Yeah, he got it. It's, it was a lone pine, a little tree, which was kind of the mascot sort of. <laughs> I love that. And so as you, you know, you earn the point, this was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Then are you like completely satisfied or in your head, you're like, okay, so what's next? Well, it's, you're always wanting to know what's next. And I think one of the things that I've tried to respect more, and it's, it's, it's hard when there's like always a next, you could jump to immediately is the kind of come down between peaks in your life and like respecting the the moment after and I haven't been historically great at that and who is I mean it's hard if you're riding the momentum of one success or moment to pause and absorb let that absorb which is why when people are like do you ever party I'm like well there is a time and a place and like I think it's at the end of the season and things like that you know that's a side note but (laughs) but I did want to know what was next and I was like a a poet at the time and thought that it was going to be grad school for writing. And I realized that I could possibly run this fifth year, which some athletes have like an additional season or two at Oregon, which was a different school. And they were very running focused. And I, I took that opportunity because it was a rare one where my one team point would actually mean the national title, you know, which is a big deal. Yes. And we did it and we won and it did matter. And it did matter. Well, it always, but isn't that the thing? Like it always matters. It just might not matter in the way that you would hope that it could. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It matters differently. Yes. You go to do the, the fifth year, you then transition after college into a place where you're like, do you think right away, you know what I'm going to try to do? I'm going to try to go to the Olympics in 2016. No, I think that like that conversation we had earlier about you know, letting myself sink and sink into a, like a goal chasing period of time. I think I took my life year by year. And and right after, you know, when I went to Oregon, my goal was to contribute to that team. And, but when I graduated Oregon, I did start to think that chasing the Olympic dream would be possible and could be a goal I could set for myself. So that's when I like said it out loud was, pro- you know, I was probably like 22 or something. And that was when I just decided to like go for it for that cycle. So that's like a big thing to say out loud. <laughs> yeah, it's scary because it means you might like not get the thing that you say you want. In that regard, I think a lot of people are scared to say the things that they really want or chase after these big things because they're scared of the letdown or the quote unquote failure. For someone who's like holding back because of those possible repercussions, like what do you say to them? Well, it is like the bravest thing you could ever do is to try your best, not to be the best, but to try your best, because the first step to trying your best is saying, what am I trying for? Right. And if you know that you're trying your best, that's very brave, because it means that if you don't get the goal that you're chasing, you have nothing to fall back on. Like you don't have the excuse of like, well, I didn't really try my, you know, and I think people are comforted by the, what is that called? Sandbagging. I think that's a comfort that people might give themselves, but it's not the best way to live. Like, I think it's much better to be able to go to sleep at night and feel like you've truly tried your best, even if 
trying your best doesn't mean, again, being the best, or even if trying your best at, on any given day means different things. Because if you feel crappy 100%, like trying your best of crappy is going to look different. But I feel like the advice I want to give people is just that it will be worth it. And you will feel so grateful to yourself that you gave yourself the chance to try your best and to chase something. There's no regrets in that. I think the regret is in the opposite. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to two of my sponsors that, plain and simple, make my life better. First up, Baron Fig. As you all know, for me, mornings are absolutely sacred. And one of the first things I do every single day is write in my Baron Fig journal. As a woman who has been keeping journals for as long as like, God, I mean, maybe my first kiss? I don't know, forever. (laughs) I couldn't be more obsessed with this journal. It is cloth bound, it lays flat, and it is just my go-to. My favorite Baron Fig products are their guided journals, which can help with everything from habit formation and keeping track of your favorite recipes to planning your daily, weekly, or quarterly goals with the help of some smart prompts. Baron Fig has a journal for every taste, and of course, they've got a great deal for the Hurdle community. Head on over to baronfig.com and use code HURDLE20 to get 20% off a guided edition today. Treat yourself. Again, use code HURDLE20 at baronfig.com. That's B-A-R-O-N-F-I-G.com to get 20% off of a guided edition journal today. Hurdlers, what better way to treat yourself than to give your body a slew of necessary vitamins, minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods? Seriously, (laughs) you know where I am going with this. A huge thank you to my sponsor at Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is an all-in-one daily supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients and the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. Plus, bonus here, it costs less than a cup of coffee per day, although you really can't even like compare those two because you get so much nutritional bang for your buck with Athletic Greens that to me, it's just a no brainer. It's also great for digestion, gut health, liver support, hormone balance, so much goodness in each serving. You've got to get in on the Athletic Greens action. I promise you, you will never look back. Head on over to athleticgreens.com hurdle and get a free year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your first purchase. Again, that is athleticgreens.com hurdle and get a free year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. No code necessary. Let's get back to it. Talk to me about trying your best at the Olympics in Rio. Yes. Well, much of the trying the best happened leading up to the Olympics. And I think what trying your best means when you get there, because you can't train anymore. You're there. You're there. Your your body is as prepared as it will be. It was embracing the Olympics as different than every other race. That was what trying my best meant because being there is so chaotic and different than any other experience that it would be easy to feel like some of those differences were insurmountable challenges 
that would make this race or whatever, you know, game, whatever athlete, whatever you are going to do at the Olympics seem hard and seem impossible and seem too different. And so for me, trying my best meant embracing exactly what it was and trying to decide as to why every single thing I encountered was a reason why I would succeed, not fail, whatever it was, you know, challenges, pleasant surprises. And so it was a mindset that I needed to have because my body was already prepared. For sure. So you go to the Olympics and we all know what happens after the Olympics because many of us have now read both your book and uh, your op-ed in the in the New York Times. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about maybe that moment when you realized that you needed to do something about your mental health in the months and year that followed the Olympics. Yeah, well, I did not realize it for a long time. And I just wanted to know what was next, like we talked about earlier. And I wanted to know yesterday. And I think it was my dad, basically, who could see in me that something was not right. And I was spinning out and speeding up rather than slow down in the moment after the Olympics, in the moments, in the months after the Olympics. And he and my brother, you know, told me that they, you know, they really thought that I needed help. And they made the appointments for me. And I think that is a hard thing to admit, because I would like to have said that I recognized it in myself. But I really didn't have that vocabulary at the time. I really didn't understand that my brain was like a body part. And if I was having symptoms like not sleeping, which I wasn't sleeping at all, like maybe an hour a night, that that is as bad as like when your ankle feels really off, you know, it's like something in your body is off, you will make some sort of adjustment or see someone for help. But I tried to take it upon myself to fix all these things. And so it was a couple months later, that I finally got help and got that vocabulary to see that my brain was a body part and could get injured and could heal. And then I shifted my focus completely because I think, you know, talking about goal chasing, you have to know what your goal is. And I was chasing the next goal. I wanted to find the next goal. I was chasing fitness when my health was not there. And I think once we know that the goal needs to shift, we should, we can shift immediately to chasing the proper goal. And if health isn't there, that's always going to be the thing that we ch should chase first, right? You told Rich Roll that Bravey is the best thing you've ever written. And that it was something in terms of goals that was like a big goal for you. So now that Bravey is in the world, do you think about the next goal? Yeah, I've been in working on the next goal the whole time. And I think the hard part is trying to pause again and telling myself, look, a book release is like a type of Olympics. It is a kind of Olympics. Like to write and release a book is an Olympics of sorts. And so I'm trying to pause and like let my adrenal fatigue, you know, come back. And I can tell that I need to respect this moment. Um, it's, I'm glad I have a partner in Jeremy because we do have creative projects that are unfolding and um, he has really taken the lead on those. And I think that's partly my communicating with him that like, 
hey, I'm likely to overdo this. And I need to just have, you know, at least I need to be the vice president of those projects right now. And, um, and I'm running, but I think my goals in running are later in the spring. They're not like winter goals. And that was a product of like, it just not being reasonable to, to race, you know, in February or March. Um, so yeah, I'm letting, I'm trying to let it come back and do the things I know will help me rebound and be able to chase the next goal with like two feet on the ground. I love that. You mentioned the vocabulary that you learned uh, when it came to talking about mental health. And I'm sure after seeking out some help, you got to a place where you had to start implementing a lot more self-compassion and a lot more like grace with yourself. What is your advice for someone who's struggling to implement self-care, self-love and to have that grace from your own experience? Yeah, I think making it official. So um, I remember when I started training pretty seriously, but also was chasing these film dreams, I felt guilty about napping, for example. And then I just started calling them meetings where like I had a meeting like with my bed or whatever. And um, people like respect meetings. They respect like doctor's appointments or whatever. So I just would say I have a meeting or an appointment and that made me feel a little bit better about it because it was more official. Um, and I think whatever it takes for you to like, take it seriously or let your world around you take it seriously, uh, is, is fine. Like, it's okay if you have to label it something like an appointment with your bed, that's fine. (laughs) If that's what you do, you know, but just making it a little bit as official as you would other obligations in your life. I really like what you said about putting your running goals or your bigger running goals kind of on the back burner with the understanding of like when you're going to execute on that. I think what many people struggle with, myself included, is that I, like you, like want to do the best I can at everything that I'm doing. And sometimes in that effort, I will tend to burn out, which is not, you know, what we want to do so that you reiterating like, I'm going to need to be the vice president on this. It shows a lot of personal understanding and probably for you saying that back, like you must see a lot of personal growth in that. Yeah, you feel and you also see the positive effect it has to just be more honest with yourself and the people around you of like, there's a positive feedback loop. I think that's what you're referring to. You see, and then you've grown the muscle that respects your own well-being, you know, it's a, it's, they're all like these invisible muscles that we're growing, just like muscles on our body. We don't have them by birth. We like do movements and then we get these muscles. And so it's going to be the same with any of these self-kindness or self-preservation techniques where it's going to feel a little awkward at first or difficult, and then it becomes common. And then it feels good because you have this backbone of longevity through these mechanisms you've created for yourself or these practices. And sometimes we do like boil over. We are going to overcommit sometimes, but that's okay. It's just once you realize that you have, make a shift. I keep telling myself like there's truly no regrets. There are only lessons and there are only regrets if you know you need a change and you don't make it. It's okay to like realize you need a change. Just shift there and give yourself the the kindness to just instantly shift when you need to. When you need to. Yeah. 
you opened up to your family about your mental health struggles. Who else in your journey opening up about what was going on for you has helped you along the way? Well, when I was in the deep of it, I think my family and my doctor were the best support that I had. Now, I do think it's been helpful to talk to other like people in at the pinnacles of their world and just understand that we all one get different vocabulary like i remember speaking to someone and understanding what he does to feel okay every single day like little little like techniques and tactics but also looking up to people as mentors not just for like what they do but for what they don't do you know and and just like taking that as permission to do and don't do accordingly as well. And that just makes everybody seem more human and it makes us feel more human. Um, So that's been helpful. I guess being around studying and like looking up to different people. When someone goes to your Instagram page, they see a woman with 80,000 plus followers and Olympian and actress. Um, Now, I guess someone would say now an author. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you? Oh, what a fun question. Um, I see, I think I see someone who is trying her very best and still feels a little bit like the kid on stage in the elementary school play because I think there's no one who tries harder than that kid who's like just you know in a costume trying to tap dance you know trying to smile at their parents in the audience trying to remember you know their lines like I do feel like that but there's a joy in that because that's a wonderful place to try and and fall down sometimes. So I think I see that person where it's like, wow, I'm still out here trying my best. And like, I could still really humiliate myself. But that's like, that's just a beautiful way to live. So, you know, it's not like I look at myself and I'm like, I've got it all together. But that's okay. I've got more. I'm like an adult face, but still in that, like, I'm still tap dancing a little bit. (laughs) I think we all are tap dancing like every single day. And anyone who pretends that they're not is just like, it's not real. Or they've chosen to not put themselves in positions to do that. And that's okay, too. Like, I do think if someone like doesn't want to like, feel like they're constantly in like an audition for a play, that's okay. It's just like knowing yourself. And I like that feeling of like being in a position where like it might go well and it might not. I like it, but not everyone likes it. And I think that that's okay too. What excites you right now? I'm excited to like see how the Olympics looks like, you know, meaning what my role in it will be, what, you know, how it's, how it's going to be. And I think it'll be a beautiful thing to see the world come together in that way. I'm excited about um, a TV show that I'm working on and a feature film that I'm working on. Uh, And I'm excited for more teenagers and the like. I'm excited for people to find this book um, because I am really proud of it. So I hope it slowly like trickles its way into the world to people who might you know, like it. I'm sure it it definitely is. I mean, it's certainly making, I would say more than a trickle, kind of like a splash here. When 
I mean, like I said, you have certainly had some really great conversations over the past few weeks, which was why I want to ask you this this next and close to final question. You in these conversations has told have told us so much about your life and your experience uh, with everything from running to acting to mental health struggles. Is there anything when you sit down and you reflect at the end of the day and you ask yourself, am I talking about this enough? Is there anything that you think to yourself, I want to talk about this? Well, I think a lot of the book conversation has leaned towards mental health, which is like really timely and important. And it was like, it's good vocabulary to talk about that I like discovered the hard way and shared in Bravey. But I do think that the more that the useful, the most useful part to me in my life was like, just trying to see every scenario somehow in my favor and like just talking about how we can try to change our narrative and see it as more subjective than objective, even in a sport like running, that seems pretty objective. I think to share that with people, because that's everything. It's like, that's everything in the world is like how we see our story unfolding and how we tell it to ourselves first and then maybe to the world and it's not you know I respect people who like share their challenges you know on social media or otherwise but I do think like there's a way that you can share it where you see yourself as like always ending up as some kind of hero even if you're going through something absolutely terribly hard I don't know why we wouldn't try and like emerge victorious as best we can. I love the word useful. And I loved how you explained how helpful that word has been to you when you were talking to Michael Gervais. Yeah, it's so useful. Yeah, (laughs) it's so useful. Useful is so useful. It is. Alexi, you have an opportunity to offer yourself one piece of advice looking back on the post Olympics phase of your life going through that hurdle moment, what do you tell yourself? Oh, I would tell her that everything is going to be okay, even if you don't think so, and even better than you think it could ever be, and that your brain is a body part, honestly. I mean, I needed to know that then, and I didn't understand it. So that that would have been very useful to know a few months before I knew it. But now you know it. And now you're spreading the message. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Alexi, thanks so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And thank you for doing this podcast. Alexi, how do the uh, hurdlers keep up with you? How do they stay in the loop? Give me all of your details. My details are just my name, Alexi, A-L-E-X-I, Pappas, P-A-P-P-A-S. That's Instagram and Twitter. And the book is called Bravey with a foreword by Maya Rudolph, and I hope you love it. And it's everywhere, so you can find it at your local bookstore, I hope, (laughs) to support those locals, you know? Support them. I'm over at Emily Abadi at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.